Hello everybody, it's Liz here. Welcome to Bible Clarified. Today we are going to be starting a two-part series on how to handle tough times. Now, I'm not going to go and try to pretend to understand your tough times and how much pain you're in, nothing like that. This is not about that. This is just looking in the Bible and observing what the Bible says um, and using it as encouragement and instruction for us in hard times with coming from and having the heart of, uh, why not? we got nothing to lose. Let's make our tough times a little easier by learning from the Bible. So, don't forget, like, subscribe, join our Facebook group, Bible Clarified, and join the conversation. But we'll definitely want to share this one everywhere. I think we're all kind of going through some tough times, and we want to be prepared uh, for our next tough times if we're not in tough times now. So, uh, this this brings a lot of value for us. So the Bible has a lot to say about tough times, but it all starts with perspective. The perspective is everything. And if we have the right perspective, then we'll have the peace and joy that God provides. So Jesus outright told us there would be tough times. And so we're going to dive right into our first verse on this one because we know we're going to have tough times in this world. We're going to have great times and we're going to have tough times. So let's look at John 16, 33. It says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What does that mean, overcome the world, really? What does that really mean? In dying for us, Jesus overcame the world's ownership and power over us. Those who choose to give their heart to Jesus and follow Jesus then receive this help. We have the ability to overcome the world and the challenges of this world and the temptations to sin and do bad things. We have the power to overcome the world's way. And this power helps us also overcome the most difficult situations that this world can serve up. So, yeah, it's a fallen world. Things aren't going to be perfect, right? But Jesus gives us hope that he's overcome that. Things can affect us physically, but spiritually we're owned and protected by Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So let's tap into this encouragement, peace, and joy from having the right perspective and see what the Bible says about having the right perspective. So... First, we have to look at a few questions and sort of we're going to gain this perspective by looking at some really tough questions. The first question is, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a great question. Have you ever been asked this question and just didn't know what to say? So this is going to serve this alternate purpose that you'll have some great answers when people ask these really tough questions. The reality is, though, Bad things happen to all people, and it's a fallen world. It's not that it's all negative. It's just this reality that along with the good things in this world, it's a fallen world, and there's bad things that happen. Some people have bad intentions, and there's going to be tough times. So really, let's change your perspective a little bit. The question really should be, why do good things happen to imperfect messer-uppers like me, like us? We know Satan runs the world. Jesus, he straight up tells us in John 14, 30, how it really is down here. And he's telling us this before he dies on the cross for us imperfect messer-uppers who don't deserve it. 
He bought us back from Satan, who is the ruler of this world, with the currency of the spiritual world, his own blood. So I know many churches don't want to talk about all of this, but the reality that we need to face, and the better we understand and know this, which most churches won't talk about, is that Satan does run the world. He runs this current world, and Jesus has bought us back with the spiritual currency of his blood. Let's look at John 14. Let's see here. John 14, 30. I will no longer talk with you. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. So Jesus is basically saying, when he goes back up to heaven, when he when he ascends back to heaven, after he comes back alive, he rose from the dead, right? When he ascends back to heaven, he says that the ruler of the world, Satan, is going to be allowed to run things here for a while. He's going to be coming, but he has nothing on Jesus. How cool is that? So if he has nothing on Jesus, then those who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, he's also got nothing on us. So when Jesus rose from the dead and everybody saw him actually walking around, it was then undeniable verification that Satan and evil really didn't have anything on Jesus and that God would win in the end. And he will win in the end. As much as Satan wanted to, he couldn't keep Jesus down. Not even death could keep Jesus down. And because we belong to God, Satan has nothing on us either. And the better you understand that situation and the reality that Satan runs the world, but Jesus purchased us back, Satan has no power over us. We have, with Jesus' help, this power to overcome the evil temptations and the evil things of this world. So, Jesus didn't leave us hanging in this life in the meantime, because here we are, we feel like we're alone down here, but we're not. He sent us the Holy Spirit after he left, after he ascended. When he came back from the dead, he ascended back to heaven, and he sent down the Holy Spirit. So, this puts a different perspective on bad things happening. It is a reality of the world we live in, but we're not alone. So, let's let this passage sink in deep. I'm going to go to the next one here. It's uh, John 14, 23 to 30. So, starting with verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me, I, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. So check this out, continuing with verse 29 here. And now, I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. 
So he's sitting there telling all the disciples before he dies on the cross, what's going to happen. And it makes the message even more powerful because Jesus knew it was going to happen, told the disciples what was going to happen, and then it happened. So continuing with verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you. You'll recognize this for a sec from a second ago. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. And then Jesus is like, arise, let us go from here. Let's move on. <laughs> he drops that <laughs> very valuable information. Then he's just like, yeah, let's, let's go to the next thing. <laughs> so Paul also, you know, one of the, the, the rocks of the Bible, Paul, he explains in Romans 8, 18-25, how we, with this eternal perspective, can look forward to going from suffering in this crazy world to glory when Christ returns. And he, Christ returns and he'll redeem us, and we're no longer subject to the evil of this world. We all have this eternal perspective, that's what we're shooting for, this eternal perspective where we know that one day, Jesus will come back and get us and the suffering and the tough times and the tears and the pain, it'll all be gone and done. So let's look at Romans 18, uh, 8, 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For, in er, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, because, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together till now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. How encouraging is that? We have something so awesome waiting for us. And we, we will be redeemed. And not only that, till then, Jesus promises to give us peace and help us through these hard times. So uh, this is excellent encouragement and should help us sort of develop this eternal perspective based on sort of the Bible's perspective that it gives us. This biblical perspective, straight from Jesus really even. Obtaining this perspective really becomes easier as you see God working in your life, though. And so, as, as God works in your life more and more, then this, this eternal perspective becomes easier to take on. So, I, in, I really want you to give it a try. You should definitely give it a try. Give them a little small area of your life if you haven't tried it yet. And take a little leap where if God doesn't show up, then it won't work. After you get, you know, you got to pray about it. But after you get a few of those under your belt, obtaining this perspective then will become easier and easier. And even better than that, you'll want to trust more areas of your life to God. So start with a small one like tithing. This concept of realizing that everything you have comes from God. So you have this immense gratitude to God for all of it. 
then because it all came from God and you're thankful, you can't wait to bring a little bit of a blessing on someone uh, with what God has given to you. That's our tithing. Then watch the blessings pour out. I, I dare you. I dare you to get a, give that a try and then message me with how it goes. I cannot wait. God is so good and he's faithful every single time. So now we're going to look at this next question. Another doozy. Get this one. Does going through tough times prove God isn't all powerful and good? Have you been asked have, have you ever been asked that question? I mean, what a tough question to answer, but the Bible has some instruction on that. So let's take a look. It is a common misconception that if God loves us, then he wouldn't let anything bad happen to us, but we know, we know looking at what we've already looked at so far, it is definitely a fallen world. And knowing that bad times will happen, it's inevitable. We can choose one of two ways to look at it. Either the tough times are all for nothing, or the tough times are for a purpose for the Lord. The reality is God advances his kingdom, especially through tough times. So how much more meaningful is a message to someone coming from a person struggling and still choosing to have faith because they're confident that God is actually real. So let's check out a Bible verse here. We're going to look at 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. One day, his glory will be revealed, and we will be redeemed. This is a Bible verse. This, these two verses are something to write on a note card and put all over your house, especially when you're having tough times. But don't wait for the tough time. Arm yourself. Put this verse, these verses in your heart now. And then when the tough times hit, It'll be on your heart, ready to go. But this is an excellent, I mean, it's such a good, encouraging verse. This is what it's all about. This is the reality of it. We're going to have fiery trials. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised. But we're sort of partaking in just a little bit, just a tiny sort of inkling of Christ's sufferings. But man, when his glory is revealed, we're going to have exceeding joy. That's pretty cool. At the end of the day, we menial humans can't possibly expect to understand God's plan, though. Just face the reality. And you got, it, this is going to change which questions you ask when you have hard times. And that's, that's good. So, but at least uh, we can sort of be sure our suffering is not for nothing. It is for a purpose. And look at the promise here. When his glory is revealed, we'll be glad with exceeding joy. Get ready for it. It's a promise to us. But keeping in mind, God's plan is just not meant to be understood by us. So when you ask, why are these tough times happening to me? Is God punishing me? What we want to do is change our thinking away from those questions. Because we have to understand the reality that we're not meant to understand that kind of stuff. So let's look at Romans 11, 33 to 36. This is the reality of our, our understanding. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. That right there is the perspective that we should take on when it comes to understanding what's going on. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Unsearchable judgments. His ways past finding out. That is the reality. We are not going to understand. I tell you what, if God gave us a glimpse of what he understands, I'm pretty sure our brains would explode. So, although we can't begin to understand God's perspective, we can get a small glimpse. If you look at sort of an example, like a parable, a little story to help you feel someone's point of view, that's like what Jesus did. Then you can start start to understand where God's coming from. So, let's look at a little story. Let's just walk through a story and see if we can start to understand God's perspective. Let's say you have two kids. One's a five-year-old girl. She's sweet, but you caught her sneaking into the pantry to steal M&Ms multiple times, even after you asked her not to. The other kid is a middle school age boy. Kids at school are mean to him, bullying him for something he can't help, and he struggles with some anxiety. You caught him drinking with friends a couple weeks ago, and he also got into a fight recently at school, causing you to have to miss two days of work when he was expelled. Now, you have to pick one of those kids, one of your own kids, to receive eternal damnation in hell. Because obviously, they're not worthy, right? They're doing bad things. So, which one do you pick? Would any parent not drop onto their knees and cry to God saying, She didn't understand. She's just five. She's still learning. And... For your son, he's just trying to cope with painful emotions and rejection in becoming a young adult. He's not trying to be bad, he just doesn't understand. No, I refuse to pick one of my own kids. So just take me. Then take me instead. You have a little bit of an idea how God feels about us, his children. And guess what? That's what Jesus did for us. He said, take me instead. That's right. So, it's a little bit hard to understand God's perspective, and especially when we're in the middle of our own struggles. But this is just a tiny glimpse into how God feels. So, I hope that helps. Now, we're going to look at uh, another question. Then it's another doozy. This is another tough question. And then we're, we're almost about ready to wrap up after we do this question. Because there's just a lot of information here. So... Now we're going to look at, why do bad people prosper? It's a tough question, right? There is no earthly explanation for this kind of question. It could only be something God could understand. And Jesus explains it in Matthew 5, 44-45, so let's take a look. Keep it in mind, we're not meant to understand everything, but Jesus gives us a clue. He says, you have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do, you, do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there's the norm in the world, right? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the normal world's way. But no, Jesus is saying we're called as believers to do more than that. We are to love everybody, even our enemies. We're to give everybody love. Be salt, be different, be light. That's us. We got to do that, right? Because God makes the sun rise on both the good and the bad people. God loves everybody. And so he's calling us to do the difficult thing and do the same thing, right? So when it comes to why do bad people prosper, ultimately, people who obtain power, money, and prestige at the expense of other people, they're going to have to answer for that one day. They're going to have to answer for their actions. Will it be now? No. But one day, one day, and people who do the things you may be tempted to do, and seemingly have no consequences, they'll have to account for their action. And we don't need to understand God's plan, but instead, we just need to know that their wickedness, all these people making these evil, doing these evil things and making these bad decisions to sin, they will not get, that's not going to get them anywhere in the end. So they may see, you may see them prospering now, but in the end, they're not, they're not going to be doing well. They're actively choosing to turn away from God and the word in the Bible. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but... You were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's right. At one point, we're all sinners, but when we choose to believe it and follow Jesus, we turn away from all of that. God renews us, and we have this power, this superpower to follow Jesus and turn away from the world's bad ways, right? So as hard as it is to watch people get away with things, Make no mistake, uh, they don't have consequences now, so it seems, that you may even see. They may be having consequences you don't see, right? But you're trying to struggle and do the right thing, and it's frustrating to watch them seemingly succeed doing evil things. But don't get frustrated. Take heart. They will not enjoy the things that really matter in the end. A little tiny bit of temporary pain and frustration is nothing compared to them being told by Jesus when Jesus comes back to get us. Or when it's time for the final judgment, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus will, in the end, make a judgment, right? So let's check it out. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Let's just look at Jesus' words specifically right from the mouth of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, look, Jesus isn't going to be fooled when it comes judgment time. He's not going to be fooled. He's not going to be mocked, right? And so we who have faith in believe in Jesus, and because of that, we give Jesus our lives, right? We turn away from the bad things of this world, and we follow Jesus. Then Jesus knows where our heart's at on that, and we'll be good. But these people who pretend to be good, or just are focused on, uh, I don't need Jesus, I'm just going to do good, you know, uh, they are sadly mistaken. They're going to miss the boat and even worse, the people who are choosing to do bad things and not follow Jesus on purpose. Like, they're knowingly choosing to turn away. Not going to end well for them, even though it looks like it's going well for them now. So, when tough times happen to us, especially at the hands of others, just know that in the end, God will make everything right. I know we may be tempted to sometimes take revenge into our own hands when something bad happens, but look... Revenge is for God. Although it looks like someone may be getting away with some evil or corrupt deed, you can rest assured God will bring his justice and make it right one day. It may not happen right away though, and you just have to accept that and be patient. So let's look at Romans 12 verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Just let that sink in. You have to really believe and trust that God's going to take care of us one day. And when we're redeemed, all everything will be made right. The people who have done evil will be put in their place. So you just need to rest assured knowing that. So though, now that we've taken a look at the toughest questions to help us build the right perspective, now we're ready for part two. So we're going to stop here. And then for part two, we're going to talk about a very, a very actionable list of actual things we can do to put this stuff into practice and actually help us with the tough times based on biblical instruction. It's going to be full of Bible verses and just an actionable list of things you can do. But this is not designed to be an answer-all uh, type thing. And this is not going to be all, the, you know, it's, it's a ton of information. So it's, don't expect to digest it all at once. The goal is to get you started, get you into the Bible and reading. And then uh, over time, you want to sort of learn more and study these things and build a strong perspective of this biblical instruction and how to see things sort of with this uh, godly view, okay? A biblical worldview. That's your goal. And when tough times then happen, you'll be prepared. You're sort of putting on the armor of God, but first you have to build the armor of understanding. And so that's sort of our goal. So take it as that, and I hope that it helps you. So don't forget, join us for part two of how to handle tough times and like, share, subscribe, share this everywhere you can so we can help as many people as possible. Have an awesome day and we'll see you next time for How to Handle Tough Times Part 2.